For those who are visitors, let me give you some context. We've been singing the words of Isaiah chapter 6, written by David Thompson, one of our congregation, because for the last period of time we've been looking through the book of Hosea. And uh, it seems to me that that song in many ways encapsulates most of um, what the whole book's about. Uh, A people who are like the mist that disappears and who have very little um, uh, substance uh, in religious terms, uh, pretending to follow after God, not really doing so, but God constantly in the midst of their unfaithfulness, loving them and building them up into who they should be, leading to a worship that's not just songs that are sung in church, not just some feel-good pop moment that church might be, but songs that come from hearts engaged, minds inquiring, and a worship that is the mercy we act out in our daily lives. That's, I think, from Hosea 6, David, was where you got the inspiration for that. We've moved on to Hosea chapter 8. Here I am at the start of a new year, because I wasn't here last week, trying as... um, I was in one of those awkward moments this week where um, we were talking about another church who's vacant and the the lady said, um, yes, we need a shepherd. And I thought, a shepherd? She means she needs a minister. A minister's supposed to be a shepherd. I'm a minister. Am I a shepherd? Oh. Um, And you're probably going, you're right. Oh, um, after two and a half years of that. But I I started to think about the first Sunday back on a year when I have a few plans that we're going to share. And the moment that you might actually just say, well, no, Steve, you can be the the shepherd you like over here, but we're going to be uh, over there. But what you have to do is you have to launch into that in the midst of Hosea chapter 8. I mean, trumpets are heralding doom. Vultures are probably better than eagles for this, Michael and I'm wondering where Biblica came with the eagles thing, but commentators would be saying maybe vultures, whatever. Um, Vultures are circling in the gloom, and the reaping whirlwind is about to go boom. Presbyterian, eh? Three points, doom, gloom, and boom. It sounds like a Presbyterian sermon, doom, gloom, and boom. (laughs) How do you lift that and try and share with the flock where it might guide us and lead us? in 2012 well it seems from what Janet was reading in Hosea 8 there's a few recurring themes I have to say Hosea was great for about seven and a half chapters and now Jonathan and I are going oh it's a long way to Lent Um, and uh, we're finding as we come to it every week there's there's recurring themes that are here and I hope that as we do that because God felt that Hosea should recur those themes that as we read them we might be getting them soaked into our own lives. As I read chapter 8, there's a a few things that seem to appear out of it. In verse 1, we have these broken covenants again. Lord, because the people have broken my covenant, rebelled against God's law. There are people who God has made a promise to that are in relationship covenant with him, and they've broken it. They've, They've separated. As Keith was praying in the prayers, relationships have been distanced. They've rebelled against the word that God has given them, the the advice for living, the 
The way that if, we're, if you want to live without a mess in this fallen world, here's the way to go. It's not that God stood up there and said, right, let me come up with a few things just to spoil the way they're having life. No, when God gave us his word, it was so that a fallen people would not get into all kinds of chaos. And I could go on my hobby horse here. I've done it before. Let me do it again. Double yellow lines. They're not there because somebody in some office said, ha ha, we'll not let them park near Tesco's. They're there because if you park on them, chaos is what happens to all the other cars that need that space to get round that corner. They are there for a purpose. The law of the road is not there to spoil our fun. It's there so that we won't be led into chaos. The word of God likewise. And yet the people here had decided they're going to park in the yellow lines and they're not going to live by God's word. Don't go home, by the way, and Google yellow lines in the Bible because it's only an illustration or a metaphor. Then in verse 3 we find that Israel has rejected what is good coming out of the word and the covenant. They've broken covenants. They've rebelled God's law. They've rejected what is good. And then in verse 4, I think that's very telling. Because they've broken the covenant, because they're not at distance with God, because they've rebelled against his advice and his word to stop the chaos, because they've rejected the goodness of that, here's what happens, the outworking of that, the chaos that that causes. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Because they've distanced themselves from their relationship with God, because they've rejected what God's advice to living is, because they've rejected the goodness that God has given them as the people who've been blessed with that relationship and that word, they've now decided we can do it ourselves. We can make our own alliances. We can live the way we want to live. We can pick the kings we want to pick. We don't need covenant law or God's goodness. And they are in a mess, is what the rest of the chapter tells us. They have sown the wind of that, and they are going to reap a whirlwind. And to me, as I was reading it and pondering it in the way that Whitney Wilkinson wonderfully taught me how, the 30-year-old Whitney Wilkinson, by the way, sorry for those who are new to us, Whitney was part of our youth team a couple of years ago and is now minister herself in a little church in North Carolina in the PCUSA. And uh, Whitney said to me, Stucky, just ponder it for a few days. Don't go to any of those commentaries until you've pondered it for a few days. And it's good advice. You take advice from the young people. As I pondered this, one verse kept hitting me again and again, not only for Hosea 8, but for a year in Fitzroy, the title of this morning. Unless the Lord builds the house. Psalm 127. It seems that the Lord wanted to build the house of the people of Israel, his promised chosen people, but they rejected it. They wanted to build their own house. And it seems to me as we start this year, we should take hold of that line. Unless the Lord 
builds the house. It's interesting, uh, Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. It's in, again, a context that war, Syria, all kinds of stuff's going on. We've left ourselves to other alliances. We're going to depend on other countries and other kingdoms saving us, and so we'll not depend on God. Unless the Lord builds the house, coming out of that, we reap what we sow. And I suppose ultimately, though I'm not going there today, Israel thinks they've gained the world, but they've lost their very self and their soul. So let me blend that a little bit. Every wedding I do, probably, and not many so far, I'm looking forward to one or two in the year that's ahead. We start it with, unless the Lord builds a house. It's there in the liturgy of Presbyterian weddings. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who try to build. But what about what we do as a congregation? What the session decide on Thursday night? What then filters through to what we do in neighborhood outreach, what we do in the youth work, what we do at night reach, what we do in Ulsterville as we help Keith with the work there, what we do in Mornington as Katie tries to set up some of the work there, what we do in this area with health and uh, alcohol education, what we do with PW. Unless the Lord builds the house, we can't go off on our own ideas. We've got to find out what does the Lord want us to do in these places. And that's what frightens me about the shepherd phrase. Because who am I to tell you and be sure. Because I'm sure you know what I was thinking about this as I was going through this this week. There was a phase just before they flipped out when some phase where the tear in the covenant happened. Where they decided not to take the law anymore. And I'm sure it wasn't one morning they woke up and said, oh, we don't want a covenant. Oh, we don't want to go with the law. I'm sure it was a subtle distancing from God. Where they decided they could do it themselves so they were less dependent. Where they decided they were good architects themselves so they didn't need God to build the house. Somewhere down through the history of God's people, we find them getting to where they are in Hosea, but it was a process. So where will we need to be careful that we don't deviate from the covenant that we believe we're in? From the word that we believe is central to what it is to be a Christian. To this relationship and the goodness of God. So how as a minister could I at least stop us from deviating? Well, let me tell you one thing that I've got this idea about and I'm starting to run with and I'm hoping you'll come on board on. Lent, not a great Presbyterian season of the year in Balamina, it has to be said. I hadn't heard anything about it probably until I moved to Belfast. But they're all the same. And one that I think within Protestantism, thankfully, we're gaining some understanding from our Catholic brothers and sisters as to uh, the, the power and the helpfulness of this season of the year of Lent. Six weeks. I think it's February 22nd to April 8th, but you can check those dates because I was getting them wrong at the start of the service. And for a couple of years as your minister, I was thinking, we need to use that time. I'd love to use it for this, or I'd love to use it for that. And I wanted to get us, first of all, here's the first thing I'd love us to do, and I've been thinking about this for over a year with Michael, 
Biblica have this program that Keith talked about, uh, Keith Danby, when he was here in November, where we can read as a congregation, every last one of us, and don't try and get out because you're the youngest here, we can, or the oldest here, we can all read the entire New Testament in the six weeks of Lent. It can be done without us going off work or taking sabbaticals. Now, if we did that, if we read the entire New Testament as a congregation in those six weeks, and we started to gossip about it, what did you find in your reading this week? If we maybe met in twos or threes in Starbucks or Café Renoir or Clements or the French Village and all my offices down Botanic that I tend to meet in during the week. (laughs) If we started to do that or whatever, Michael has done it, I think, Skyped it across the world where three people can look at each other on computers and say, what did you get out of Galatians chapter one or two? What if instead of reading Galatians, Philip Mateer, who can't be with us this morning, that's why I can put him up to it, would come some night and the whole congregation would gather and Philip would take us through the whole book of Galatians because he can recite it off. What if we did that as a congregation? What if we spent six weeks, all of us, reading the scriptures? I think it would help us from deviating. I think it would help us together to find out what's the Lord saying, how does he want to build the house? But let's add to that. Prayer's not easy in Fitzroy. I go to the Wednesday lunchtime group. There's some go to the Monday night. I try to take that as a day off. There's a few who go to the elders on the Saturday morning, but some of us have children that were taken here and there, and that's not easy either. What if just for six weeks, just for six weeks, I'd go for it, Steve. What if just for six weeks, instead of meeting in your home groups, we all met, all the home groups came here, and we all prayed just for those six weeks. I'm not asking it forever. I'm just asking for those six weeks that we all come together and we pray and we seek God's leading and guiding in our lives. And that at those meetings, if we have them, that people would come forward and just share, just a few every week. I was reading this week in our readings, and this is what I get out of it. So we're sharing the reading of the scriptures together. We're praying as a community together. And then thirdly, just for six weeks, we all serve in some kind of way. I don't know that I could teach Sunday school. But for six weeks, I could sort of say to Chris or say to Sonia or Flo or I could say to Brian and the ones who do Bible class, I'll just offer myself Nightreach, I don't think I can do Nightreach, but just for six weeks. Or Mornington, what does Katie do down there? For six weeks, I'll just go down and... Or Ulsterville, Tuesday night, I don't know whether I could talk to people with other languages. Six weeks. What if we read the scriptures together, prayed together, and offered ourselves for some service that we haven't done yet as a congregation? Now, how do you do that? Because it's six weeks to Lent. We have a weekend in the middle. So we're going to talk about some of these things and give opportunity. For those not going on the weekend, don't panic. You'll not be left out. And David Horniak from Hungary, who's a member, has been with us here in Fitzroy for a while, and is giving a month of his Bible college uh, time to us, is going to help us run with this to help us to see if we can set up for six weeks a reading of the scriptures through Lent the New Testament in its entirety. Communal prayer of some kind, I've given one idea, that we all come together for those weeks and that we would all sign up for something. 
Now, if we did those things, it seems that's what Jesus did. He taught the disciples. He prayed with the disciples. He taught the disciples how to pray. And then he got them out there doing some service. And in the midst of that holistic, he gave them his ways. Unless the Lord builds Fitzroy down through the next year or waste our time. I don't want to tell you what I think. I want as a community, yes, with my guiding and leading, because I am the shepherd and I've got to take that responsibility. I've got to think these are three great ways. For six weeks, we concentrate on and then see where God will take us out of that into the future. Because I want our future to be a little healthier than the doom, gloom, and boom of Hosea chapter 8. The danger is we do it ourselves. We have the intelligence. We have the biblical insight. We have the Christian worldviews. We have the Christian experience. We have the people who can pray like nobody else can pray. We have people who've written the books. We've got a well-organized, structured scenario. We've got all kinds of volunteers. What do we need God for? We could do it ourselves. That's the danger. So let's just go back to basics. Let's just say, Lord, unless you build this, it's in vain. And for a period of time, let's give ourselves to seeking God in our midst. That we might get to sing this song of David's in all its wonder. Confessing at the start we're missed and due. Depending on God's constant love so that we would have hearts engaged and minds inquiring and that our worship would not just be words and songs because that's what the prophets reeled against. But the mercy I give, the mercy we do, would be the worship that we give to God. We're going to sing it through once for various reasons. Number one, I think it's a great way out of this sermon. But also we need choreography time for my elders to get forward for communion. And uh, we're going to sing this through. Please stand and sing it with the band. Oh uh-huh. 